Good morning, everyone. Good to be back here worshiping with you. It's good to be here in the pulpit, a privilege that uh, I look forward to and enjoy very much. Have you guys ever gone from point A to point B and gotten all green lights? Has this ever happened to you? That happened to me this morning. It was really interesting. I really felt like I needed it. I wasn't feeling great. I really needed God to just, you know, just to show himself to me. And he showed himself to me by giving me all green lights. It was one of the most wonderful feelings in the world when you, you know, you're driving along and it's like, oh, it's a green light. That's nice. And you look into the distance and it's red. And as you're driving towards it, it turns green. You're like, another green light. And that happened over and over again the entire way here. So this morning, I feel very much that God is with us. God is, well, maybe not with you, with me, because I'm the one who got all the green lights, right? But just happy to be here. That bumper video that you just saw tells you, for those of you who might be new with us, that we are in a sermon series, a message series called Believe, A Journey Through the Gospel of John. And as we are journeying through the Gospel of John, what we would love is for you to understand what John was trying to convey to his readers. And what our heart is for you is that you would believe, that you would place your active trust in Jesus Christ, that you would know that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Chosen One, and that through him you can have life and life in all its fullness. We just finished up in chapter 8, and we're shifting gears now, and we're moving into chapter 9. Chapter 9 really turns the page. Uh, Chapter 9 and 10, you can kind of take it together. The tone shifts, um, the things that uh, John is describing shifts, and we're just going to dive right in into chapter 9, and we're going to read the first few verses together. So why don't we go ahead and do that? Um, If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. Again, it's John chapter 9. If you, can, uh, you can also take one of the Bibles out of the seat back in front of you. You could turn to your device. There is free Wi-Fi in the building. So if you want to connect to our Wi-Fi and hop on your uh, Bible app, you can do that. Uh, you can look on with a friend, but it will be here on the screen behind me. So John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So we're going to stop right there. There's a lot of meat there. There's a lot to cover, even just right there. But as I was preparing to preach not only this, but uh, looking into the next few weeks as uh, I've been tasked to do a fair bit of preaching here, how to break up uh, chapter 9 and chapter 10, even into chapter 11. And I was praying and discerning that. I felt compelled to share uh, a little something different, that that we would take a bit of a detour from John today and look actually into the gospel of Mark at a healing miracle that Jesus performed um, that is very similar to the one that we just read, but has a a couple of nuances that I'd want to share with you today. Uh, I believe that there is a message in that for us, especially now that we are at the start of the year when things are new again and we make some new commitments. Um, I want to share this with you today. So before we turn to the gospel of Mark, let's unite our hearts in prayer. Let's prepare our hearts to receive the word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your promises are true, and your word tells us that uh, 
The scripture tells us that your word does not go forth and return to you void. It always does what it seeks to accomplish. And God, I pray this morning that your word would do its work in the hearts of those who would hear it. God, would you unstop our ears? Would you uh, unveil our eyes? Would you give us hearts to know you and your Holy Spirit today? God, would you just come upon your servant uh, as he preaches? God, would you anoint me to share this word? Even as we sang, come as you are, I feel so much like those words are for me, that I too need to come as I am, to know that I am accepted, to know that you are here in our midst and that you will empower your word as it is preached this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We rode the elevator together in silence. I was flanked by my sister and my dad. And I remember the three of us just staring out into the metal door that was in front of us. Not a word passed between us. And when the doors opened, we stepped out into the hospital hallway, that familiar and unmistakable hospital air filled our nostrils. And we walked down that hallway together in silence. We walked through the double doors, past the nurse's station, and into my grandfather's hospital room in silence. My mother and my grandmother were there waiting for us. And as we gathered around his bedside, not a word passed between us because our hearts were heavy. He checked himself into the hospital about a week earlier. He wasn't feeling well, he said which was odd and uncharacteristic of him to not feel well and to actually check himself into the hospital. And so maybe he had anticipated something that we couldn't see. He knew something that we didn't understand. But there he was in the hospital. And he was, in fact, dead. He was gone. And I wonder where he had went because when I was looking at this thing on this hospital bed, He certainly wasn't there. He wasn't in this heap of already decomposing flesh and sinew and bone, gray and lifeless before me, half covered by this worn hospital bed sheet. That wasn't him. He had a heart attack. It was sudden and unexpected. You could tell just by looking at his face. He wore this anguished expression on his face. All his facial features were contorted. And he had this uh, toothless grimace that really just punctuated the whole scene. It was almost like the life was just wrenched out of his body violently. And when I looked at him, I, I, I knew and I realized that this was not the man that I knew and loved and admired. This wasn't the man that used to swing me by the arms as a child who used to hoist me up onto his shoulders and, uh, and carry me around the house strong and sturdy. To be sure, he hadn't been that man for for a number of years now. But not only was he not that man, he just wasn't himself at all. I was looking at something completely foreign, something resembling a man, but not a man at all. Because the thing that makes a man a man, the thing that makes a person a person, the life, the vitality, the spirit was nowhere to be found. Where had my grandfather gone? And that's when I heard this phrase begin to echo in my mind. It came unbidden to my thoughts, these words, I see men as trees walking. I see men as trees walking. 
I didn't know what that meant. But I later found out that it's actually in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, in the story of Jesus healing this blind man. And so I went and I studied it, and this is what I found. Jesus is in the area of Galilee. And it is, Galilee is north in the Sea of Galilee, um, and he's traveling in that area, and he's doing miracles. He's well into his ministry, and he founds, finds himself in a town called Bethsaida. Now, for those of you who have been following along with us in John, you would recognize that name, Bethsaida. This is where Jesus uh, fed the 5,000. This is where Jesus would uh, walk on water as they traveled um, east back to Capernaum. So he's in this town called Bethsaida. And he is walking into this village. And Mark tells us that as he was walking into this village, some people, that's the description that we're given, some people came to Jesus and they brought to him a blind man. And they got on their knees and they begged him to heal this blind man. And I love what Mark describes after this. Jesus looks upon this blind man and just like so many he had... Um, that he's seen before. He just, he had compassion on him. And what Mark describes is that, that Jesus took his hand. Jesus took his hand and he walked with him out of the village. Now, we spent some time living in the United Arab Emirates in the Arabian Peninsula, the Middle East. And it was a common, play, it was a common sight to see grown men holding hands together. We'd be going to the mall and you would see, you know, men holding hands. And it was quite normal because it was simply an expression of their love for one another. It was an expression of their friendship to one another. And here was Jesus who had never met this blind man before. First time he'd ever seen him. He took hold of his hand to say, I am here. You are loved. You are cared for. I am your friend. So Jesus takes his hand and he walks with him out of the village. And when he gets out of the village, he stands him up, and he spits in his face. If you read Mark, this is what he does. He takes him out of the village, and it's all friendly, but then he goes and he spits in his face. Now, I don't know about you. In most cultures, I'm pretty sure, spitting in someone's face is not the friendly thing to do. But Jesus does it. But he does it for a reason. He spits in his face. In fact, he spits in his eyes. And then Jesus puts his hands on him. He lays his hands on him. And he says to the man, what do you see? Which is absurd because he's a blind man. He doesn't see anything. But he says, what do you see? The blind man opens his eyes. I don't know. Maybe he wiped the spit away from his eyes first. I don't know. But he opens his eyes and he says, I see men. But they look like trees walking around. So Jesus puts his hands on him again. And the man opens his eyes, and then he can see fully. Men look like men again. So we have Jesus here healing this blind man. And this healing kind of stands out from the other ones. Because if you remember in the book of John and, and throughout the Gospels, you see that Jesus heals a number of people, right? And he heals them in different ways. Um, just immediately before the healing of the blind man in the book of John, he heals the cripple, if you remember this, the invalid. The invalid is in Jerusalem. He is at the pool by the sheep gate called Bethesda. And so he is sitting by this pool. 38 years he's been an invalid. And he's sitting by the pool, waiting for the waters to be stirred up, waiting to get in himself. 
Because as legend goes, when the, the water is stirred up in this pool, the healing powers come and they froth up from the bottom. Whoever goes in first is going to receive its healing power. And so he's been waiting here for 38 years for someone, anyone, to put him into the water so that he can be healed. Jesus comes along and sees this cripple. And he says to him, do you want to be healed? Well, well, of course he wants to be healed. And his response is, but there's nobody to put me in the water. So Jesus says to him these words. He says, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. And so whatever happens in that instance to make this man who has been crippled for 38 years to, to be able to walk, the, the muscles need to come back, the, the tendons, the nerves, everything that has been preventing him from walking, all restored in an instant. And he picks up his mat and he walks. So Jesus heals this man with a word, just by saying it. And if you look at the chapter just before that in chapter 4, he heals the official son. Jesus is in, uh, the, uh, in, in Cana, and he has moved into this area of Capernaum. And Capernaum, this official, whose son, as Mark records, is near death, comes to Jesus, is seeking him out. And he says, Rabbi, you must come to my home. You must come to my home because my, Jesus, my, my, my son needs you to heal him. And Jesus simply says to him, go, your son is healed. And in that moment, this official believes, and he rushes home to see if it is true, and it is, he believes it's true. But as, he, as he's going, he is met by his servants who cannot wait to tell him that his son has turned the corner. He's no longer in the throes of death. And so when he gets home, he asks around, and he says, what happened? When did this happen? At what hour? And he realizes it was in the exact moment that Jesus said, go, your son is healed, that his son received healing. So we see very clearly that Jesus doesn't need to do anything fancy in order to heal people. He can do it with the word. He is the living word of God, the word made flesh. What he says comes into being. And when he says healing, when he speaks healing, healing happens. And so we have here Jesus healing the blind man. And I began to wonder, I mean, I wonder what Jesus' day was like that day, you know? He'd been he'd been walking around the countryside, he's been healing people, you know, left, right, and center, anyone who came, you know, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. And so he's probably feeling pretty good about himself. He walks into this town, Bethsaida, and these people come to him, and they beg him, please, please heal this man. He has compassion on him. He said, no problem, I can totally do this. You know, this is old hat for me. I'm going to take him out of the village. So he takes him out of the village, and he stops. He says, you know what, I've just been healing people with my words. Let's just, you know, let's, let's put a little showmanship into it, right? Maybe Jesus is thinking that. I'm going to spit in his eyes and see what happens. So he spits in his eyes. He put his hands on him and says, what do you see? And, of course, Jesus is expecting him to be fully healed. But he says, no, I, I see, but I see men, and they, they, but they look like trees. And do you think Jesus thought, oh, man, what happened? Did I, did I lose my mojo today? Do I need a cup of coffee to, to get the engine going? No, that's not what happened because every deed that Jesus undertakes, every, every action that he does, every uh, word that he speaks, it's intentional. He means for it to do something. It is deliberate in his life and in his ministry. 
And so we know that this act of touching the man not once but twice was meant to show us something. And so every action that Jesus takes is, number one, in obedience to the will of the Father. We know this for sure because even in the book of John, if you want to look with me, in John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So we see that Jesus only does what the Father does, right? He only does what he does in obedience to the Father. If you look at John chapter 7, verse 16. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So not only is he obedient to the Father's will, he's obedient to the Father's uh, teaching and what he wants Jesus to teach. And so Jesus is obedient to uh, Jesus is an act of obedience, but it is an act of teaching as well. Now, as I was preparing this, uh, the fancy word um, didactic came to mind, and I was debating whether or not to use this word because um, probably not, didactic is one of those words we don't really use. It's a great word. Um, didactic, for me, is um, it's a word I like because it sounds a lot like pterodactyl, um, and I like dinosaurs, and so I wanted to use the word, but anyhow. So it's a, it's, didactic simply means teaching. So this is a moment of teaching for Jesus, a, a, a moment of obedience and a moment of teaching. And so what is he trying to convey to us? What is he telling us? Jesus wants to teach us something, but he was also in the midst of teaching his disciples something, right? Disciples, not only the 12 that he chose, not only the people who were following him around, but the disciples for all time, all of us. But there was something specific and something general happening here. So in the midst of what he was doing there, when he touched this man once and he wasn't fully or completely healed, or so it seems, um, he touched him again and then he was fully restored. He was trying to teach the 12 disciples that were following him uh, something something specific and something particular. What was happening was the disciples were following him around. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his teaching. He had revealed himself to them in, in, in a variety of ways. But they did not fully comprehend who Jesus was, that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. And so even for all of the time they spent with him, they were seeing but not seeing. They were understanding but not completely understanding. And so Jesus wants his disciples to know through this, this miracle, through this teaching moment, that they are, they are like this blind man who was at once seeing but not seeing that they are understanding but not fully understanding who he is. And so that's the specific particular teaching that, God, that Jesus had for his disciples in that moment. But there is something broader, something more general that, is, that speaks to our human condition that I think Jesus wants to convey to all of us. Now, being um, the gifted preacher that I am, I'm going about to share with you something that is so profound that you in no way could have ever come up with it yourself. And it is this. So if you're taking notes, you want to write this down, okay? This is the thought. People are not trees. (laughs) It took me a long time to come up with those four words. People are not trees. I mean, if I put a person beside a tree in front of you, you you wouldn't mix them up, right? You wouldn't think they were the same thing. I mean, for one thing, you know, people are warm blooded creatures and trees are plants. People can move about freely wherever they want. Trees are rooted into the ground. For those of you science geeks out there, trees 
derive energy from photosynthesis. And humans derive energy from cellular respiration. Come on, you guys know that, right? So clearly there's a difference between trees and people. But what I want you to know is this. People are not trees because we, out of all of God's creation, were created unique. When God made trees on the third day, he put the trees and the grass in the field and he said that it was good. But when he made us, human beings, he formed us out of the dust of the earth. And then it says that God breathed life into man. He breathed life into man. He didn't do this for anybody else. And so we are unique in all of creation in this, that we, because we are formed from the dust of the earth, that we are part of material creation, but because God breathed his life into us, that we are also part of the spiritual realm that God inhabits. We are both material and spiritual. We have a body and we have spirit. But the issue is this. We live firmly planted in the material, in the physical world, right? And we have these five senses. We have uh, our smell, our taste, our touch, our... What am I missing? Yeah, what you said. Okay. So we have our five senses. And we are inundated by stimuli that hit these five senses all the time, right? We're bombarded by it. So much so that we begin to think of the physical, material world as the real world. And we forget that we have a citizenship in the spiritual world. And because it is intangible, because it is um, super sensible, because it's, it is immaterial, we begin to think that maybe that world, that realm isn't real. But let me tell you, that realm is just as real as what you can taste and touch and smell and see and hear. We, unique in all of creation, have a dual citizenship. We have a citizenship with God and we have a citizenship here on this earth. Even in the act of communion that we just partook in, that was a bit of heaven touching earth. And so in that, we exercise our dual citizenship. So people are not trees in this. That people are possessed of a soul and trees are not. Both are living and breathing organisms, absolutely. But only humans live in the realm of a spirit. And a tree has no spirit. So in a spiritual sense, a tree is dead. We only have to look at 1 Corinthians 5, 22, or 15, 22 to see this. For as, Adam, for as in Adam all die, Adam is the first man. Adam is the man through whom sin has now entered the world, right? Because he ate from uh, the tree of the, uh, he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so sin has entered the world and through sin, death. But Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, so also in Christ, shall all be made alive. Through Adam came death, but in Christ there is life. We see men like trees, men and women like trees walking around all the time. And this blind man was in a sense given spiritual sight. 
seeing people as they truly are, physically and biologically alive, but spiritually dead, apart from Christ. You see them everywhere you go. You sit with them in class, you chat with them across your driveways, you go out to coffee with them, maybe you grew up with them, you sit in the cubicle next to them. These are friends, our family, our classmates, our colleagues, people that we care about, people that we know. Moving around this world like trees walking around because there is a spiritual deadness to them. You know, when my, my daughter was born, my first daughter, being a first-time dad, some of you first-time dads out there can resonate with some of those things that I'm about to describe. There's an excitement to it, right? It's like, we're going to have a kid. But you begin to see this life growing inside of your wife, and you're like, oh, I want to experience some of that. Am I the only one who thinks that? Okay. But there was life. I mean, that's a fantastic thing. It's an amazing, mind-boggling, miraculous thing that life can grow inside of another person. And so, you know, as the father, feeling a little detached from that process, you know, I could see her enjoying her pregnancy. Oh, she's kicking. And I'm like, oh, good for you. You can feel her kicking. <laughs> but in that hospital room, in that birthing suite, man, everything changed. There was this moment. It's like before it was just anticipation. And the moment that she came out and I heard that little wail, it was love instantly. Love and life. That was all there was in that room. Love and life. But even in that moment, I have to know and I have to recognize that my newborn daughter, full of life, is spiritually dead. And there is only one answer to that. And the only answer is the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, you and I were at one point in our lives spiritually dead. But because of God's mercy, he gave us Jesus so that we could have life and life in all its fullness. Could save, eh? Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. But God being, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Friends, I want you to understand this, okay? It is in Christ alone that we have salvation. It is Christ alone that can bring uh, healing and uh, healing to the spiritually dead. It is Christ alone that unveils the eyes of the spiritually blind. It is Christ alone that brings light to the darkness. It is Christ alone that brings life to the dead, that gives eternal life to the spiritually dead. When, Je when Jesus was nailed to the cross, I want you to think about that moment for a second. When he was nailed to the cross and his arms were outstretched, it was as if he stretched out his arm into all of the past, into all that had gone before, all of the sin of the world that had been committed, and he took a hold of it, and he reached out into the future, all the sins that would be committed had yet to be committed. He took hold of all of that and he bound that all to himself. He bore the burden of it in that moment so that we could come to God and we could be called his children. Jesus did that so that we could have life. 
Christ called you out of darkness into his wonderful and marvelous light. Look at 1 Peter, verse 2. But you are a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Is that not good news? That Jesus, who himself, as we read in John a number of times now, that he is the light of the world. He is the light of life. And he has given that light to us. Not only has he given it to us so that we can enjoy our lives with him, he has given it to us so that we too can be light in the world. Remember when Pastor Lucas talked about Jesus being the light of the world, that he became to bring joy and compassion and generosity into the world. And he gave us that ministry in Matthew 5 when he tells us that you are the light of the world. And so we too need to bring joy and community and generosity into the world. We need to be his ambassadors. We need to be his witnesses, a witness to the one who makes walking trees into living men and women. to bear witness to Jesus so that the same way that we have met him, that others can meet him too. Mark describes some people that came to Jesus and brought this blind man. This, these some people, I was thinking about this and I was wondering, who are these people? It's a very vague description, just some people. Are they strangers? Did they just happened by this blind man and thought, oh yeah, I'm gonna go out of my way and I'm gonna go look for Jesus and when I find him, I'm going to beg him on my knees to heal this stranger. Do you think that's what happened? It, it could have. But I'm more prone to think that these people were the friends, the family of this blind man, people who loved him, people who cared for him, people who wanted the best for him People who understood what it was to have sight and would want that for their friend and their loved one. And so they're hearing about this Jesus character who is traveling through the Galilean countryside, healing people, healing their diseases, healing their infirmities. And they think, this is the chance for our beloved friend to gain his sight. And so if Jesus ever comes to our part of the, part of the world, if he ever comes to our town, we are going to do everything we can to bring him to Jesus. Would you not do that? Would you not go to any length to heal someone you love? And so they gather him up and they ferry him to Jesus. And when they get here, they, they, they get there, they don't just say, you know, they put their hands in their pocket and say, uh, um, you know, Jesus, you know, it'd be great if you could, um, yeah, my friend, just he's blind and it would be great if you could see. So if you, know, if you could find it in your heart to just take the time to maybe just touch him and heal him. Is that what they said? No. They begged him. They implored him. They poured out their hearts before Jesus saying, please heal this man. Please heal our friend. There's a sense of urgency that these people have in meeting Jesus. They know that there is an urgency in meeting Jesus. And that's an urgency that I didn't always feel. Because my advice to you would be not to wait until the person you love lie dead in a hospital bed a day too early and maybe an eternity too late. 
See, when I walked into that hospital room and I saw my grandfather lying there, the truth is he looked, out, he looked like a hollowed out log, like a piece of dead wood to me. It was, it was grotesque. And I wasn't sure where he would end up. Because you, when, when we die, we end up in one of two places, right? We're either in the presence of God forever enjoying him or uh, we're not in his presence and doing some other stuff that I don't want don't to do or think about. So I wasn't sure. No, that's not true. I thought I knew where he had gone. And it wasn't, it wasn't up there. Because he was always so stubborn. He was always so self-reliant in his ways, stubborn in his thinking. He was, he was staunch in his unbelief. He never wanted to hear about Jesus or the gospel, even though he was married for 60 years to a very, very devout Christian woman, my, grandfather, my grandmother. And standing there by his bedside in that moment, I just felt the sting. I felt the burden of it all, knowing that he would spend an eternity apart from God, apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, why hadn't I shared the gospel more urgently with him? Why hadn't I shared my joy in Christ with him more readily? Maybe you've had that thought. Maybe you've been in, in my shoes and you know that there's no time to waste, that there's no moment like the current moment. With my grandfather, um, I was relieved to find out that close to the end of his life, he did have a warmness to spiritual conversations with my grandmother. He even would request um, to pray with her at night. And so even though I can't know for certain, I am hopeful that one day he and I will meet again. But right now I just want you to think back. I want you to think back to the day that you met Jesus. I want you to think about the, the sweetness of his presence. I want you to think about the assurance that you have that God loves you, that God cares for you, that God accepts you. I want you to think about the freedom that you enjoy in being God's child, his beloved son, his beloved daughter. And I just want to remind you today that there's no time like the present to share that with someone that you know and love. There is an urgency in meeting Jesus. And for those of you who are sitting here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, but it seems like a good deal to you, I would invite you to place your active trust in our friend, in our healer, in our savior, Jesus Christ. And I would invite you to come forward. At the end of the service, there's a, a prayer team up here. We would love to help you take that first step in your journey. But as we close up today, remember who Jesus is to you and why meeting Jesus has an urgency to, to it. And do not delay. 2018. You know, even now, I imagine that as I've, as I've been speaking this, 
that some of you, that, that God has brought someone to mind, that you are thinking about someone, that God is saying, go, don't delay, share my love with them. I'm gonna take a moment and we're gonna pray together. I'm gonna pray for all those people that, you, that God has brought to your mind. Let's make 2018 the year that we see walking trees become living men and women in our own lives. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, I hope not with heavy hearts, but with, with hearts of hope and of joy and of anticipation of what it is that you are going to do in the lives of the ones we love, but ones especially who do not yet know you. God, would you just, um, would you strengthen our feeble arms and our weak knees as the, the, the scriptures say? Would you um, bring low the mountains? Would you fill in the valley? Would you make the rough places smooth before us when we go and share your love with those that we love? Would you give us the courage, God, and the words to do that? as we desire to be part of your work of reconciling, redeeming, and renewing all things. God, we look to you and we ask you to bless because it is all for you and for your glory. Our desire is to live for you. So would you, God, give us the tools to do that more and more each day out of your mercy and your compassion and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's continue to worship God in singing.